Welcome, everyone, to Scale Lab, brought to you by TechLeap. I'm Joe Wilson, one of your co-hosts, and I'm here with my partner in podcast, Konstantin Vanaranya. Konstantin, very, very special guest today, I think. Yes, um, I'm very, very proud that we can uh, have today with us, uh, we have uh, Dinko Valerio, uh, I would say an icon in, when it comes to the, uh, the biotech space, um, obviously founder of uh, Crucell. Um, and uh, but but more than that, someone who maneuvered the the health and the science space and, uh, and mentored many many companies and uh, invested in companies and uh, really uh, if we if we discuss how difficult it is to be successful in in the health space, then he's been someone who's relentlessly been supporting entrepreneurs in uh, in, in in getting beyond those hurdles. So I hope that we'll be able to. Uh, to um, identify a few of these and, uh, and and make sure that some of the, at least the future entrepreneurs will not uh, bump into them. And, There's uh, a lot to learn really today. Learn, a lot to learn today. So uh, maybe actually we'll start there. Um, what is the, the most important lesson that you uh, teach or that you share with, uh, hmm. with a startup when you start a mentoring process? Well, I guess that as far as I'm concerned, the, the most important lesson is for all, all of the entrepreneurs to understand that it is all about them, that it's about the people. And that with human energy, you can accomplish so much. And, and that makes it also extremely individual. Um, and so, you know, there, there's this book about outliers that most of us have read. But that's really what it is, you know. So the entrepreneurs need to understand that they need to be an outlier. They... And, they can be successful in many, many different ways, but it's themselves and, and their their energy that drives the process. And, um, you know, getting that self-confidence um, is, is very often extremely important. And, you know, it's not something you just say and then, oh, okay, okay, you know, now I'm self-confident. I mean, clearly it's it's something that comes in, in, in interactions that are much broader yeah, than that. Because, how, I mean, how would you... I mean, how do you how do you identify that? Um, it's great to say that you know it's all about people, but next moment you are stuck in negotiations with your university, or you have an issue with uh, with your entrepreneurs, or your the science isn't working, the technology go break come breaks down. So, wh- what is it, wh- how do you make that concrete? I don't. Um, I don't think you can make that concrete. Um, uh, uh, make prob- it tangible. For prob- probably, yeah. you know, some people with artificial intelligence can say something <laughs> about how you can actually, you know, uh, narrow that down. Um, uh, but for me, um, it's very, very important that the entrepreneur that, you know, seeks me out to help him or her um, in in building up their company and I have have a connection and that I see something that is that is distinctive in that person. And the, the thrill for me as a mentor is to see how all of them are so completely different and therefore, you know, become successful in such a, such a different way. Um, uh, I mean, clearly, uh, you know, you need to have uh, a certain uh, a cognitive intelligence uh, in order to, to be successful. But much more than that, what you need to pick up from these people is whether they have the, the right energy to, to actually really go full out for for their dream um, and that is something that um, that you can smell um, 
And uh, it's not something that you can learn, I believe. Um, so there, there are definitely some probably genetic traits that, that you look out for um, in, in these people. So you think they're wired that way? That's how they. I how do they believe are. that they're yeah. wired that way, and 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 of course, you know, um, you very often see that entrepreneurs come from families of entrepreneurs. Um, so you know, let's say that the the self confidence that you need to do this ridiculous thing to start something where there is nothing and just say, well, you know, I will do it, um, requires probably. Um, some backing uh, by people who tell, well, you know, I've done it. You can do it, right? Um, because, because what happened with you? I mean, you you studied. Um, you're a scientist. You studied mm. uh, medicine, and uh, you so, and then you went to the U.S. and there. I mean, I understand that 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 was a very transformative experience. Yes, so very much so. So yes. it is something that actually happened to you, or were you an entrepreneur before and you thought let's let's spend some time in you studying? Yeah, <laughs> you were hiding it, or how did that work? Well, you know, people would say that I, you know, I did my academic work in an entrepreneurial way. Mm. I could, you know, I was I was good at en- enthusing people uh, around me to you know to do certain stuff. And uh, and that is extremely helpful, right? If you you know you, you want to do the, the right research, you need to have enthusiastic and and similarly driven people around yeah. you. And so I had a knack for 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 getting that across. But what happened? Um, uh, so this was you know um, uh, in the seventies, eighties, um, uh, in the Netherlands, and there it was an academic career. I mean, either either that or probably work with you know a large far, uh, a large company we didn't have any pharma companies uh, uh, really and, you know people could work at, at Unilever or Gisbrokades or companies like that but then um, I got exposed to Genentech in the early days and um, uh, and that was for me transformative then I realized that all the basic stuff that we do um, wherever you know it can be translated into real products you can actually do that, but it's driven by the science. So you know the combination of of that and that that tremendous focus um, uh, and the freedom that you have as an entrepreneur, together with with the science and and really being at the forefront of figuring out stuff. At that moment, um, Herb Heinecker at Genentech had cloned the insulin gene, and well, it was obvious that 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 was an important gene to clone because that is a product that we needed, right? And and so there, you know, that is that is what our business is about. And to realize that you can actually, you know, not only do this cloning and describing it, but you can take it further was, you know, was for me um, a, really a revelation. And uh, and it it also um, triggered the entrepreneurial background that I had. So you know, it's uh, it, it's very very clear that uh, when we eventually, you know, came that far that we started to treat patients with what you know we had discovered in academia. Uh, that I thought, well, this is the time to start a company, but, you know, I have no idea. And, and who, who do you ask? Well, I went to my father, right, mm-hmm. who was a, a, an Italian immigrant um, who, who made um, spectacle cases. But he was an entrepreneur, you know, in, in his bones, he was an entrepreneur. 
And so this was very clear. He said, well, you should do it. Of course you should yeah, do it. Yeah, he didn't yeah. say, uh, oh, you're throwing away a career <laughs> in spectacle science. Spectacle like glasses. Spectacle case. Oh, okay, spectacle yeah. cases, yeah. 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 So he didn't. He wasn't sorry that uh, a not career in science all. was gone. Oh, so not how did that work out? So you came you came back to um, to the Netherlands, back in that environment where that, you know, basically there was no entrepreneurial scientist. Hmm. Hmm. And then, um, and so how did that work with your colleagues? And maybe you can then um, uh, mirror that with the situation today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, in in those days, the situation was it was a barren ground. Um, there there was one company that uh, had been created by Herman de Boer. A company in in those days was called Gene Farming, and it had a, a U.S. and and a, and a Dutch arm. And eventually, you know, the, they those two companies broke up in independent entities. And you know the 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 cattle genetic um, um, uh, animal um, husbandry was what farming was. So what today still is the company called farming. And so I went to Herman and asked him because Herman was also a Genentech in the early days. And so I had seen him at my little stint at Genentech, and you know that was an obvious choice because he was also a professor at Leiden University. So he was, let's say, you know, f- uh, uh, somewhat of a role model for me, and uh, you know, it was interesting to um, uh, you know compare notes with him. Um, I would say, you know, um, the other colleagues in academia in those days, you know, either did not understand why you would throw away uh, a, a, an academic career and your professorship. Mm. Because for, you actually stepped out of the university, right? You, yes, you decided to, yes. at being an entrepreneur, you could not also be uh, employed by yeah. the university. Yeah, yeah. I felt that that needed to be... Is that still be, the case? Needed to still? Be a con- and I still believe that that, is, that that should be the case. Um um, I think that, you know, in order to become successful as an entrepreneur, you need to go all in. And um, uh, in the Netherlands still today, we see the, a lot of what I call um, gentlemen, uh, uh, what is it? Um, uh, yeah, gentlemen farmers, right? People say, well, you know, let me do all the thinking and then, you know, I'll come up with the inventions and then... And I want to start a company, but but you know it's much better that I have a job still at the university because then the mm. connections are there. I think that's all bullshit. Um, but you did keep a link with the university, of course. I mean, yeah, so, of so, course. Yeah. And the university was open for that at the time. At the time, the university was at a loss of how to deal with it, and I didn't have time to wait for them to make up their mind. So I took took a bold step and actually said, I understand, but this is what I would like to do. I made it very, very clear and transparent to all the all the parties that gave gave subsidies because I had a, a reasonably large academic group, and uh, almost fifty percent of those people wanted to join me oh, yeah. within okay. the company. Uh, okay, um, and so. Um, you know, I explained that that is what I wanted to do and that the train had left the station and we were just going. And well, it then, wasn't a negotiation at that point. It was more of an... No, in, it was were, clear that the negotiation them. was yeah. still in the air because, you know, I, I took the know-how and, and, and yeah. what we had at the university and TNO was involved. So it was, you know, was was a, an extremely complex thing that would not have been resolved had I not decided to say, I'm just going to do it. And I realized that there is still stuff that needs to be worked out. And and the University of Leiden um, at that moment in time, um, you know, was courageous enough to embrace that and to say, well, listen, you know, we are, you know, new in this field as well. We will, you know, install a committee 
of two, you know, um, uh, you know, um, well-established uh, professors. So there was Professor Van der Epp and Professor Dauer Breimer, and that committee will sort of monitor you along the way. Um, we would like you to stay on as a, as a professor, um, but um, uh, you know, but, but we still need to work something out. And then, and then, uh, there was hardly a tech transfer office. Uh, but then, you know, one guy, you know, uh, he said, I'll, I'll be the tech transfer officer. And, and we worked, I, I think, for two years to actually hammer out the equity deal that, that the university got. Two because years it, to get the details. I guess so, yeah. Because it was, you know, it was very clear. But the in the meantime, you already yeah, you you just started. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You got started yeah. And, and got funding by... So also the investor, you know, took a risk there, yeah. right? That yeah. was Atlas, Atlas Venture. Yeah. So it's okay. Private investors still already stepped in. No, so it was not private. It was Atlas was of course the venture capital firm um, uh, based here in the Netherlands originally, founded from the Netherlands. Is, today still, it is one of the big players in the United States. But Atlas was founded by Michiel de Haan here in the Netherlands yeah. as a spin-out from the Nederlandse Middenstandsbank <laughs> back in the days. And uh, and and he was as intrigued in all of this um, uh, and uh, and said, well, you know. I'll put in, uh, I think they did a million guilders. So they're putting the money into your entity, which still has these issues to be resolved mm, with yeah. the university. And so, so, so you're, that's, a, that's yeah. a taking, that's a risk. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now fast forward, uh, we're now in uh, 2022. Um, has the situation much, much improved? Uh, where, if, if, you, if, if uh, you'd be an entrepreneur now uh, or in the same situation, how would you, how would you go about things? Yeah, so of of course things changed tremendously because now there are is a large body of um, uh, people who like to hug startups like you two, and <laughs> and yes. who dance around and 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 want to help. So there yeah. is a different, clearly a different atmosphere, right? Mm. And it's it's generally not poo pooed anymore as it was in those days. So that is a big difference. Um, what is also different is that. Um, uh, all these academic centers have, you know, taken the step to set up transfer tech transfer offices, and so there are offices there. Um, uh, what is still the same is that the process is extremely slow and excruciating difficult, and um, uh, and and not as entrepreneurial as you would like. So, in essence, you know, my advice to all the entrepreneurs is to do something that is sort of a copy of what what I did. You know, I don't care. You know how how I'm I'm going to do this yeah. right, and put the pressure on, because there are so many constituents and that you know they, everybody needs to understand that time is of the essence and that you just need to need to run. And the equity is there. It's always there, right? Because you start a company, and if if that company, to an extent, is based on IP or technology that was with an academic institute, well, then it's clear that the way to deal with that is with an e with equity, right? And then you know it's sure. uh, uh, or or in whatever other way, but you know it's it's not like you know it's going away because if the university did the, their job properly, they have the IP, and and so. So pre putting pressure on the system is is something that I um, 
that I encourage uh, entrepreneurs to do. Is this, a, is this a Dutch statement that you're making or is this still semi-universal around the world? Even it's probably semi-universal. Some countries that sort of think they're great at this yeah. aren't as great as they think. Yeah, yeah, and it's not a country thing, right? It's mostly uh, university-specific uh, or organization-specific. Well, some of the American universities sort of tout yeah. themselves on this, but I still hear the horror stories that yeah. come out of them. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, the bottom line is always you, it, 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 it matters who the person is that you're yeah. dealing with. Yeah. There are wonderful tech transfer officers that, you know, that that move quickly, that have a sense of urgency and have definitely, you know, not, not giving away the stuff for nothing, but, you know, to understand the responsibility and the responsibility is to get it going and not to frustrate it yeah. and to and to take a year. But the lesson I think you, you we take from this is, is as an entrepreneur, scientist, um, you need to take make the choice and you it's up to you to build the company yeah. and you shouldn't wait till it's all accommodated right right yeah. and especially you know in situations where there are more um, uh, forces at work in the start so for example in the netherlands we have something that everybody is so proud of we have this this system um, or this this entity which is called uncode so we have Academic which institutes, a, which is a thematic, um, yeah, oncology yeah, based, and which of uh, course is based um, is, is created by the scientists and by the professors, you know, to have another source of subsidies, you know, it and 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 then of course, you know, the the argument is well, we put everything together and we professionalize it, and but they all want to do what they have been doing, but uh, just with more money, but now suddenly, you know, there is this other player that says, oh, listen, I'm here to make sure that this tech transfer runs properly. So who is owning something that is invented at the Dutch Cancer Institute? Is it the Dutch Cancer Institute or Uncode? And of course they say, no, no, we have arranged all of that. But if push comes to shove, suddenly you're sitting at the table with, you know, with, with, with more than one person to negotiate something. And you know, uh, the, the, the complexity goes linear with the number of, uh, of players that, uh, that are at the table. So, so that is always, you know, that is always a, a thing that people need to be wary of. Okay, well let, let's close off all the problems. Yeah, let's <laughs> looking let's, at, let's, the, at yeah. the lessons learned, maybe. Yeah, in some yeah, of these yeah cases. yes, yes. Um, um, maybe Joe? Sure, yeah. like one of the things I wanted to ask, because you've been across a number of companies, um, is we often ask this question about product market fit. But, you know, I tend to ask that question from like a classic SaaS model perspective. I'm curious how in the different types of companies that you've had that have gone on to be successful, how did you know when product market fit was happening? We think of organic sales, but maybe there's a different definition. What were the signals? And you can then answer that maybe after that as an investor. First off, as a, as a CEO of a company, how did you know when your product market fit was really starting to happen? Yeah, so in, 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 in biotech, um, you know, there are these two streams. Either you have a platform and the platform allows you to create, you know, uh, an almost unlimited number of different products, right? right? You're a genomics Moderna company or, or a yep, gene like therapy it. company or, um, uh, or, you know, you focus yourself really on this one product. You, you are, you know, you have invented something that, um, uh, you know, can be used to, uh, to cure a certain type of cancer that is the product, it's an antibody or whatever it is, and then you start to develop that. So th those are the, the, two, the two flavors. And the latter one, of course, it is clear that you need to find out whether the market is there and whether it's big enough to warrant the huge risk and the tremendous amount of money 
that is required to bring a drug to the marketplace, right? Um, and uh, and of course, you know, there's something very interesting happened uh, happened in the in 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 the last thirty years, and that is because Henry Tremier von Genzyme figured out that even rare diseases, you know, can actually be a market um, because of the Orphan uh, Orphan Drug um, uh, Act in the United States and a similar situation in in Europe. We we may come back to that later because okay. that, of course, you know, at some point, you know, gets gets a bit uh, too much. And then when it is about the platform, then you know, there, the product market fit is is not really at hand because then it's really on: Do you own this platform? Is the platform really performing in the way that you think it should? And what are the different ways to make money with that? Well, so in our case, for example, we had this platform to make recombinant viruses that could be used for gene therapy. And then we realized it could also be used for vaccines. Um, but there's so many of those, those to be made that it would be silly to sit on that technology and just say, well, I will, you know, as a company, make all those products. So there, um, the market actually becomes something very interesting. And that is the other biotech companies and the pharma companies. Yeah. And... I love those because it it triggers the entrepreneurs and the company in a very early stage where it's still very much science-based to have a customer, huh? to have somebody who looks at this from the outside, who has to convince his boss that they need to pay this to have this in this company. And all those companies are, are you know, spending billions on research, but, you know, it, Irrespective of that, they want to in-license your, your platform. So to make that happen is, is very, very interesting and, and transforms these companies, but also these individuals into business people. Scientists, but business people. But that's very much the BioNTech model, right? And, and, and in parallel, you have a company like Moderna who doesn't use a, a big pharma company and has actually done it themselves. Can, can you compare those two models? No, because both companies are truly platform companies. Mm, yeah. And um, that, you know, um, that have this, this, this RNA technology can be used for such a wide array of different things. And both realized at some point that the easiest um, way to, um, to use the technology is for vaccines. And, and then COVID happened and they quickly, you know, created the mm. vaccines. Moderna, was capable because they were in Boston and sufficiently financed to actually recruit the people and the money that is necessary to do this development solo. And that is a huge mm. task. So for that company to actually, from a biotech company, be a company that is successful in the development and the marketing of, the, of a product is is a huge, huge accomplishment. Yeah, so and it's an accomplishment. And, and as you're saying, it, it's, it requires a surrounding ecosystem, which is yeah. which is pretty unique in the world, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it really is, yes. Because they also have the manufacturing capabilities and the, and, and All everything. of that. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. of that, yeah. yes. So really, it's a, I mean, it's a very different definition, but yet there are also some similarities. The platform play is every major software company in the world that ever mm -hmm. saw it that way. So there's, there's quite similarities in the decision-making yeah. that gets into that. Yeah. Talent must have been something, you mentioned it as in, the, in the example of Moderna. Yeah. You've had to hire some pretty senior leaders across the different ventures that you've had. What do you, what do you look for in those people? Um. So the, the choices that you make in the, in the first couple of years of your company 
are decisive, I believe, and they are irreversible. To begin with, you know, the shareholders that you pick, right? You can marry to somebody and then you can divorce, but that is not something you can do with your shareholders uh, uh, on one-sided, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> with divorce, usually... It also requires two sides, but it's at least two, two, two <laughs> so at least sides. It starts off, but <laughs> Let's leave that yeah, one for yeah, another okay. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and then the other choice is who are the people you surround yourself with to begin with. And if you realize that, you know, if you start a company like, like these, you need to conquer the world. You need to be the best in the world in order to be meaningful because, you know, it's all those products are products that, you know, eventually need to be be used worldwide, the patents need to be unique, so you need to be the first. And and so so really surrounding yourself with with those first class people, when you're still Mickey Mouse, I think is the most difficult and the most important thing for you know for a for a young company to do. And the interesting thing is that you only need to do it one once. The if the first recruit you do is that level then after that, that you set the standard and people want to be there and da 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 da. Yeah. If you make a mistake there, you know the mistake sticks with you. And if you don't remedy the mistake, it's still there. It's always this sore spot in the company. Um, and yeah, that's even your co-founder then, right? It can be your co-founder, of course. Um, uh, so so that is that is. You know, uh, often a way in which it goes where, you know, somebody says, you know, I have this, I, I really want to start this company. And then they realize, but I, you know, I, I want, don't want to do it alone. Uh, and, and so you, you know, you uh, engage with other people. That's what I did when I founded Crucell. I, um, I, I didn't want to do it alone. I wanted um, a, a veritable great scientist. And that was my former boss, Professor Van Beckham. Um, and I wanted a real hardcore clinician who understood the clinical problems and um, who understood the, the clinical way of thinking. I'm, I'm a simple biologist. I know birds and, and plants but and a bit about DNA. But a clinician is a, is a different story. So I asked Bob Leuenberg, Professor Leuenberg from Erasmus University to join. So the three of us. So And that was an, an extremely important choice. I didn't realize it at that moment, but it was very important. And, and also today, you know, when I, you know, engage with, with young entrepreneurs, um, I'm, I'm helping them and introducing them to, to people that are top, top class to be the first for them to engage with and to, to take the company to, to next level. What does top class mean in that sense? Are you talking about experience? Are you talking about mindset? Are you, I mean, is it learning capacity? How It's do you think It's filling in the gaps that you have yourself. Okay. So right? And everybody knows what, what his or her gaps are. And, you know, so I've been helping uh, 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 people with absolutely no scientific background to run a biotech company Um, and I've been helping hardcore scientists who, you know, at the, at the end of their career, you know, say, but now I want to start a company. And you can imagine that those two people require different complement sure. complementarity. Um, so it's really about, you know, tr trying to figure out what are the different elements that, that are important um, for me to start this company. 
Yeah. And, and do you have any kind of hiring advice? I mean, how you would do that is that is it maybe basically through share, you know, equity shares? I mean, that's what maybe where the co-founder comes in. But if uh, but, but if you are an early stage uh, biotech company, you might not have an investor yet. You don't have the cash to actually yeah. uh, hire that kind of people. Yeah. Um, do you do you have advice to the companies you mentor on that? Yeah, and I so. Um, uh, there, I take the horse to the water, but the horse need to drink it, uh, drink it themselves. Eh? You cannot make the horse drink. And and so, the advice there is, you know, once you've been en- engaged with these strong people, because they all have a phone number, you can all get them on the phone or or be in front of them. There is no problem there. Um, that you know, they at that moment should sell their story to that individual. That is a much, much more important sell than to any venture capitalist or banker later on. (laughs) That is the sell that really matters. And that is where, you know, they need the spark to go into this other individual that they would like to um, to have, um, you know, to have become a part of it. And um, uh, that's also, you know, when when the founding team starts to get the the culture and the flavor that this, this, this company has. Um, very, very rarely I've seen individuals just doing it solo and and getting people around them that they boss around. Um, it, you, you need a, a bit of a team, a starting team. You, you, you touched on something I think I just want to call out and make sure the listeners catch, which is that is the most important sell, more important than the bankers or the investors yeah. that will come. And what you're saying to them is don't stand back there and be the boss who wants to filter and hire. Be the person who's getting who's, who's proactively pursuing yeah. the piece you need i think that's my translation yeah yeah and and then of course you know if you want to go into the examples the examples um you know the the more plentiful examples are of great great scientists that have this wonderful idea that really warrants a, a company and can be great products and they are as critical as hell when it comes to the science and writing the papers and even the patents right scientists can write great patents that's all mm-hmm. fine but then when it comes to the, you know, the administ- let's call it administrative tasks, so the, the, the other stuff that is ongoing, then suddenly they lose that level of I want to work with the best. And they say, well, you know, whoever wears, wears a shirt and, and you know, and t- can talk to bankers, it's fine for me. Let them deal with all that shit. And so I've seen so many companies go down the drain with, with great technology and I won't call them out here, but there are a number of Dutch companies that really, you know, it still hurts my gut if I see how that stupidity killed the technology. So that is that is that part, right? A, a scientist should find a, a great business partner who should be the business person. And, and when you, so those people are, I mean, they must be quite scarce. Um, I mean, if, 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 if you are actually advising these companies and then they haven't found them themselves, maybe, uh, uh, any, any tips on how you, how you do that? I mean, do you, do you reach for instance to international yeah. uh, experts or do you search? Yeah. Where do you search? Yeah, that's a great question. So what, what I typically do then is ask the entrepreneur. So, you know, do the theoretical experiment in your head, who would be, your dream candidate, right? Who would be, they all have them. They all have, they know exactly who the dream candidate would be. And they mention them. They say, oh, that person would be great. And so I say, so? <laughs> what? Call what? Hey, call what are up. you waiting for? <laughs> yeah. 
And then, and then, you know, actually, you know, I think the last four or five companies I, I helped out, that is how it worked. And, you know, the, just realizing that also at that level, you should go for the best and the best is, is, um, uh, is enough. And then the scarcity of these people is an interesting thing. I actually believe that these people are not scarce at all. I believe that, you know, that the mix of, of people that walk around um, is such that one in a thousand or one in a ten thousand can actually be that person. So they are here. You know them. Um, and I always use the example of, uh, of Italy uh, during the Renaissance, where there was just a few people living and all the best of them, you know, went to Florence and suddenly, you know, you had Michelangelo and Da Vinci and all these people there. And if you look at, you know, the frequency of the Michelangelos and the Leonardos there at that moment in time, it means that if you go to the central station here and just walk, walk down uh, once or twice, you have met that person. That is how frequent these people are, are there. So I'm, I'm not, you know, one who says, well, it's so difficult to find these people. No. They're, they're here. You can find them. Um, capital, hmm. fuel, you know, to make a company grow, to make it run. You've been on the uh, raising side. You've been on the, you know, venture side and yeah. then back on the raising side again as yeah. well. So I'm curious, like, for the types of companies that you focus on, when and how do you advise them to raise? Because I think this is… Yeah. There's there's some there's some different uh, you know sort of steps and hurdles in here that it might be on the traditional internet business side. Yeah, yeah. So in in the biotech business, it, the story is very simple. When they serve cookies, you eat cookies, and you are not afraid to be diluted. If you're afraid to be diluted, you're in the wrong business. Then you should start a business with, that you can actually run and grow yourself. And and in in tech, that is possible. But it's not possible in biotech. There, the dilution will be massive in any case. And so, you know, better expect that before. And of course, you know, I'm not saying be, you know, don't be a, a, don't be a businessman <laughs> and don't be, uh, don't be selfish if you, you know, if you negotiate. But negotiate to the end and then raise the money. And if you can raise more, raise more. But dilution doesn't mean lack of control. I mean, you can... Um... <laughs> so... So a, a few words about investors and control. I've been a venture capitalist for, for 10 years. And all you are is a person that positions him or herself in a money stream. You're not creating anything. You're, you're providing money that, that you get from a pension fund that doesn't that says they don't know where to put it and then use the venture capitalist, <laughs> you know, to, um, to transfer it to, to the people that actually create. You know, it's, uh, I don't know, you know, whether your, your listeners are, uh, are into Ayn Rand, yes or no, but Ayn Rand has a, has a word for these, these people. They're second-handers, right? You're not creating something. And so um, um, the entrepreneurs should understand that that is their role. And, you know, that's a very meaningful role, but it's nothing else than a person that is in a money stream. Also the bank, when you go public, all the bank needs to do is to introduce you to the shareholders who actually want to make an investment. But you make the sell. The bank doesn't make the sell. That's the intermediary there. Okay, you're, you're right. 
but I'm now um, a first-time entrepreneur in this mm. space, and I'm desperately in need of money, and uh, and and the end, and I have to uh, dilute, but also lose uh, um, my maybe my voting rights, or there have been drag-along rights and other rights introduced into into this investment. Where do I stand, uh, and and how do I ensure that I can build the company that I want to build, and actually put this investor back in the spot and say, you are the provider of capital, I'm the provider of the ideas and growing the business. Yeah, well, by saying that, you you just said it. No matter how much equity they have, it's the founding team that creates it. If the founding team runs away, it's all gone. It's it's only the human energy, especially in the beginning. It's it's nothing. But how do you then educate? Because we find that a lot of the deep tech companies, not just in, in health tech, but that they um, they raise relatively limited amounts of money and mm. give away a lot of equity, but also give away control, especially if there's IP and then investors, and especially if they're maybe not only venture capital, but actually private equity, uh, then... Um, or t- take the IP and say the IP is more valuable than the company, and then and basically leave the uh, the founding team, uh, um, you know, wasted. So uh, I mean, what would you advise them? How can they position themselves in a, a stronger yeah. towards? Yeah. Uh, okay, so now it comes to this other, you know, the second most important thing that you need to do as a starting company, the, the, the second irreversible step, right? The first is you you assemble the team that you want to do this with, the band of brothers. And then and once, sisters. right? <laughs> once the, that band yeah. is there, then indeed you need you need money, and uh, you know we can talk about uh, friends and family rounds uh, uh, also separately. But you know, it, you it, eventually you need serious money from serious investors that can follow on, right? And that is, as we said, um, an extremely irreversible step. And when you want to be the best company in the world in what you do, you should have the best investor. Have an investor that plays that game, that can go that far. Um, and uh, and so therefore, um, you know, be bold and, you know, don't don't uh, undersell yourself. I'll, I'll exemplify it with, you know, with a, with a painful story that, that I actually went through. When I thought, well, you know, uh, I've done it before and uh, I, I know how to do this, how to raise money. So we started uh, Leiden Labs, uh, Ron Bruce, ja- Jaap Goudsmit, Koenraad Wiethaup and myself. And each had their different tasks. And my task was to get the money. And so I thought, well, you know, it's easy. I just go to all the European VCs that made a lot of money in, in Cruzelle. And um, and the offshoot Galapagos, uh, and you know, and they will you know do it again. It's the same team, even you know, to a large extent. Uh, this was this was um, back in the um, in the the lockdown days, so everything needed to go by by screen. Mm-hmm. And I thought I cannot create new relationships when I'm not seeing somebody face to face. So I need to work with people that you know I know from the past and and did very well on us. I failed. We failed. We, we didn't get any money. The Dutch VCs, the European VCs, none of them were willing to step into these elderly guys that <laughs> wanted to do it again and, and said, we really want to do it again. And so, you know. So what, what was the... Because, you know, this story is normally the venture capitalists will go with what's made them money before. They repeat invest in people consistently. What what broke the chain? Yeah, by the way, maybe just add on, this was 
in COVID time, you were actually um, it had it had a very strong link with what was going on, right? Absolutely, so there was a big market. Uh, Absolutely, available. yes, yes. So 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 Yap uh, discovered a way to to get protection in the place where the viruses actually attack, and that is in the nose. In, in the nose, the nosopharyngeal area, that's where the viruses enter. And there, the numbers game is very much in your advantage because it's just a few viruses that enter here. And if you can stop them there, then you can prevent all the, all the trouble that, that occurs later on. And he does it with something that is completely independent of the immune system. So you actually, you know, you create a mini immune system here. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it was a great idea. And, uh, and it was also clear that the only way to do this was to go full out. We needed very quickly to raise a lot of money to become to become a true player there. Um, and, and that money is available in Europe for sure. And why didn't they invest? I don't know. I, I, I truly don't know. Um, scared for the fact that we were just starting. I mean, just starting this idea, right? The, the plan was coming together slowly, um, uh, it, we still needed to license in some stuff. So in in all, you know, in in actually in in several respects, it was the same as starting Crucel, right? You know, I, we, we were there. We we had some some strong people, uh, but it still needed to be built, and people were not willing to take that risk. We were willing to give mm-hmm. up a significant part of the company. But then you went to the U.S. and there. And then we yeah. went to the U.S. and uh, I said, well, you know, I have to go to the U.S. and in two weeks. People were running over each other, um, and and we raised a hell of a lot of money, and 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 less than a year later, even even more in our Series B. Yeah, um, for the for the listeners who don't know, I think the first round was forty million, and the second yeah, is one hundred twenty-five. One hundred twenty-five million. Yeah, okay. yeah, and and it was was led by formerly Google Ventures. They want to call themselves GV now. Um, uh, and you know, and so not not even a specialist in the biotech. No, no, very much so. Okay. Oh, OGV. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, GV is very very active in uh, okay. in life sciences as well. Hmm. And because yeah, uh, you don't think of them for that, uh, not typically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. But so so no. it was the, the, a dream roster of investors. It is a dream roster of investor. Eli Kasdin and and uh, F Prime. So the Fidelity uh, venture capital uh, arm is there. Um, uh, you know, one of the co-founders of Kleiner Perkins is uh, is an investor. So you know, it's it's really a, a dream roster that we have, um, and it happened in in two weeks. So people in the states, you know, you know, uh, want to take that type of risk. They say, ah, you know, I I smell the energy here. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to take a bet on these guys. Um, so so that's just the lay of the land. It is the lay of the land. Yeah, and that's also because you you had those networks, right? So if you would have not been these that people, group. I saw in person just two weeks ago for the first time. These people I really? had only seen on the screen. We okay. had to sell on the screen. Yes. Okay, so we're not these were not American investors that you were had been working with. No, for, for, none of them. Oh, these are not long-standing relationships. Okay. None of them. None of them. And remember, I warm you know, intros even like you got to them because you knew people, or you had a cold. Yeah, one cold. or two intros, and then yeah. from one led to the other. Yeah, one led to the other. Actually, and so so this you know it maybe comes back to to another thing that you know I encourage now in these days um, uh, starting entrepreneurs to do. Um, the network that you have is extremely valuable 
if you, you know the strong and, and good people, and they can be scientists, they can be business people, but if these are people who are top level, opening up a friends and family round to them is actually extremely useful. So what we did is we called it ambassadors. So, and, and what we said is, listen, you know, the, the, the founders founded the company, they have the founding shares, but, you know, people were expecting ourselves also to put, put in money, of course, right? Because we had a certain, certain wealth, so they expected us to put in money as well. And, and what we said is, we put money in, in a convertible loan, in exactly the same terms that we offer to our ambassadors. And what is important is that the ambassadors commit a certain amount of money, not the amount, because there are people who are rich, there are people who are not rich. But what we want from them is the commitment with, act, with money, with, with, with real cash, and then opening up their Rolodex, yeah. opening up their network. Um, uh, and, and it was that network, actually, from our U.S. ambassadors who were scientists, who were, you know, f successful uh, CEOs or whatever, that network actually introduced us to the roster of investors. So you're like today. seed, friends and family round. You defined it in such a way that it took you further. We, right, right. And, 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 and so I encourage people to do that. We call them ambassadors. And we actually, you know, we, you, you do a little newsletter. You make sure that they, they continue to be engaged. And uh, it's, it's amazing what, what you can get from that. Yeah. Interesting. Look, any of the companies that you've had, were there any that had to make a major pivot? Like you really set out to do one thing and then you ended up doing something entirely different. I think there's deep lessons in that. I have to think very, very deeply whether I know a successful company that didn't do that. That didn't do that, right? Yeah, mm. yeah they all do. Well, we, um, the Galapagos came out of uh, Crucell, right? So that was, yes. was that an active decision that said to spin that out? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... So Galapagos was initially a, pro a project in Crucel. We, we had this, this technology where we could put genes into viruses and that virus is then a very, very effective mediator to get the gene into all sorts of cells. And you can use that for gene therapy, you can use it for vaccines, but you can also do it, use it for research to figure out mm. what the function of that particular gene is that you put in. And so... We realized at some point in the uh, in the 90s that you know that when you would do that on an industrial scale with robotics, you could actually represent the whole human genome in in viruses, and uh, and so um, uh, that was the idea. And we we just I just loved the idea as a scientist. I, I was just you know so <laughs> triggered by it as a, as a scientist. And I, I and and in those days, genomics was the big hype in biotech. So we just smelled that there was opportunity there. And so we started this, this division in, in Crucell. Uh, thankfully, we were well-financed. So, you know, we could do that and could convince my, my, uh, uh, my, my board of directors uh, that that was a, a wise thing to do. But then it became a big success due to the fact that I was able to recruit Ono van der Stolpe to run that division. And, you know, with Ono there, it was very clear that this needed to be an independent company. So we, we teamed up with a, with a Belgian company called Tibotech, who had the robotics that was necessary to do this. And, um, uh, and that company was run by Paul Stoffels. Um, and Paul Stoffels, uh, of course, then 
entered into Johnson & Johnson because Tech got acquired by Johnson & Johnson because of uh, all the fantastic stuff that they had in infectious diseases. So that's how, you know, all these connections are. And then, so it was Tech and Crucell who 50-50 created uh, Galapagos and Orno did a fantastic job and was able to, uh, to get venture money in and, and, and build Galapagos since 98. Yep. And the rest is history. The rest is, is history. Couple moving out of our kind of traditional questions into sort of some uh, you know like rapid answer ones. We'll give you mm. <laughs> ask quick. You answer okay. quick. Okay, see how okay, it goes. okay. Yep. Um, any one lesson that you've learned that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life? Ooh, that's that's a big question. I know. It's you know <laughs> we ask everybody though. Is there any right. something you took away? Is it like you know everybody should learn this at some point, good or bad? It's all about the soft factors. For me, it's all about about people and interacting with people, and and that, that's that's you know and and it goes on to life, right? I had a discussion with with, with somebody uh, who said, yeah, yeah, but but now we're going to talk family, and that's different. You know, you you always you know want to deal with with these business people. No, for me, it's the same. The, the business people are you know it's so, so it's all about soft factors and how you interact. And engage with people. That's that's to me the big lesson. Words spoken by a scientist, just to remind anyone who's learning, who's learning and listening. Do you consider yourself to be an introvert or an extrovert naturally? I'm an extrovert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was an open, yeah. <laughs> open door. It was, you know, it's funny. Sometimes we'll see the opposite. If you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write about? Yeah, I would write about uh, about how these companies are being created. What what. What happens in the first one or two years? And, and use a couple of examples. Yeah. Because it's also fascinating. And it's also different. You know, it, it, it evolves in I such a different way. I think should get you a publishing call. Yeah, I think if any of the publishing houses <laughs> yes, that are listening, yes. uh, I think you've got, got an opportunity here. a little slight here. tip here, yes. So yeah. much uh, to be learned from this. If, it, it just need this conversation. If you had to start a business, another business tomorrow, what would that be? No, it would be light and laps, of course. Are you kidding me? <laughs> a different one than what you have today. No, you can't, cannot do that. No? No, no, no. You need to be focused, my friend. Okay. Um, do you have any, like, productivity hacks? You know, ways that, I mean, you do a, quite a lot. You're across a lot of things. How do you stay on top of it all? That comes with age. That's a, a routine. So you, you lose energy, you lose all sorts of stuff if you get older, but you get a routine and you know when, you know when it matters. So you should be ready to go full out, but you don't need to go full out all day, constantly. So, and, and you get that routine. You, understand, you, you know exactly you know, when you need to push you, and you smell that. And I think that you know, successful entrepreneurs know that. You know, that you, if you think, of, for example, about you know the fundraising where people make these long lists of investors and then keep checking the boxes how many have they seen and they yes and no and the comment there was this and that you talk to the investor and you know after five minutes whether you're wasting your time yes or no and you don't want to waste your time so you go on to the next one until you smell you know this this person is game and then you go full out so it's that is and that is a uh, a routine that you 
can establish better and better when you go older. So you learn to know the difference yeah. between how yeah. to do things. You know, you mentioned, and you started our conversation with the concept of energy. You talked about energy all the way yeah. through. Yeah. It doesn't seem to me that the energy is 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 low or less <laughs> with you than maybe it used to be. Um, what what drives you? What 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 do you sort of wake up and say? Yeah, this is this gives me energy. Yeah, curiosity and and the sense of creating. You know, I'm. You know, I, I listen to music. I cannot make it. Uh, you know, I, I like watching paintings, but I'm. You know, but the creating part of it is really, you know, what it what what gets gets me going. Yeah. And then maybe our final question is: There's a lot of entrepreneurs. We hope a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this. Uh, they're you know, and they're in their own businesses and different things. Any final words of advice uh, with your years of experience you'd like to yeah, share? Yeah, it's it's the loneliest job in the world. It, it's extremely lonely. And so um, make sure that you create an environment where you're comfortable. So so look for comfort. And that can be, you know, with your, with your partner at home um, where maybe you can share a few things about what happens in in the company but it can also be other entrepreneurs um you know in in my 10 years of being a venture capitalist the highlight of the year was the ceo event so we always invited and um uh, and paid for ceos to come over to a nice event a couple of days and there, you know, you could clearly see that a venture capitalist, you are a second-hander. All you can do is bring those people together. And then, then the most fantastic things happen because these lonely people suddenly realize there are a lot uh, of buddies uh, around them. And, um, and, and that was, was, was extremely useful. So, you know, for, for, for entrepreneurs and CEOs to meet each other and, and, you know, share experiences is also a way to, to be a little less lonely and, and to have some comfort. Yeah, that's, I mean, thanks for that. I mean, this is also what we're trying to do with Techly. We're building the bold community and we've, uh, we're running programs like Rise and, uh, and Pole Position and uh, really is to, to get entrepreneurs together. And funny enough, that's not happening so much in the Netherlands. You have to actually organize that. You'd think that entrepreneurs would look for that in and, and organize it themselves. So this is one of the, the big uh, mysteries, how we um, can organize how we can ensure that the entrepreneurial community will start doing much more of that because they need it and they all are aware of it. They say that it's an issue. Um, they say they you, want and it. And they want it and it, it shows, you know, but it's, it's, it's difficult to get them so far that they really organize themselves. And they also often think that the answers to their questions are somehow lying in the hands of advisors or experts or investors <clears throat> when actually the other entrepreneurs yeah. probably have most of the answers. Yes, but... Uh, Thank you so much for uh, for for joining us on on Scale Lab, uh, Dinko Valerio. This was uh, it was a delight. I hope that many uh, entrepreneurs in obviously in the in the biotech sphere, but also beyond, will uh, will listen and uh, get inspiration from uh, from a whole career in entrepreneurship and science, and as you say yourself, creating things. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. You're most welcome. Thank you for listening to the Scale Lab, a podcast brought to you by Techly. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please share it on your network via social media and give us your feedback. See you on the next episode.